bringing people together across lines that would normally divide them is not just a nice byproduct of the gospel. God always intended the same gospel that reconciles us to him to reconcile us to God and also to one another. get into the word this morning. Um, the uh, Sunday, the September 12th, so we have two weeks left after today here at New Hope. We're so grateful for New Hope in this space. And then on the 12th of September, we'll be going back to Sunday mornings, and uh, that's going to be at 1030. Setup will begin at 830. Uh, and uh, so we'll get in there. We'll rock and roll. And, uh, and I think God's going to really uh, do some great stuff. Um, if you haven't had a chance to drive by the Burry Center down there uh, on Federal, just south of Sample on the on the west side, uh, take a few minutes, um, whether after church today or at some point, and go drive by um, this place because it is absolutely beautiful. I mean, it is it's just stunning and it's really really a wonderful blessing. We're going to be able to be there on Sunday morning. Ladies, on Tuesday nights, uh, Laura's working on this this weekend, getting uh, location stuff lined up and getting stuff working on this. Uh, the ladies' Bible study, it's going to be really good Tuesday evenings in September. All right, that was enough with the commercials. I want you to go there to John 17 if you're there already. I'm going to read John 17, uh, 20 through 23. Um, Jesus says, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be completely one, that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. We're going back to the school of prayer this August uh, in this mini series from Jesus's high priestly prayer in John 17. And this week we're going to be talking about the, the, the third lesson. It's actually the first half of the third lesson, lesson 3A, um, and both of this, this week and next week, we're going to be talking about what it means to pray for the mission of God. Jesus, after praying for the glory of God in John 17, 1 through 5, uh, and then praying for the present people of God in John 17, 6 through 19, now prays for the mission of God. And, uh, and we're going to be talking about this in, in the, over the next couple of weeks. But I, what I really love about this passage is that we are here in this passage. Now, now we don't show up in a lot of places in the Bible. You know, it's Israel, the church, Jesus. But here, he talks about us. He prays for those who would believe in the gospel through the word of the apostles. Um, and, and, and as we have learned from Jesus uh, in this high priestly prayer over the last few weeks, we're going to learn this week uh, about what Jesus' heart beats for as he prays for us. 
he prays for us here as those who believe the apostolic word, the word of uh, the apostles about who Jesus was and what Jesus did. And, and I think we're going to see three things in these verses, and that, that is how to pray for the mission of God. Oh, I should have had that up for you earlier. Sorry. Um, well, there it is. All right. Cool. Okay. Next. Um, <laughs> he's going to teach us how to pray for future believers. And that's what he does uh, in this passage there in verse 20. Uh, there in verse 20, um, he says, he says, I pray not only for these, that's, that is the, the disciples who are there with him, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Um, he, he says this in verse 20, and, and he's referring immediately to those who would believe the preaching of the apostles in the years after Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection. But he also is referring to anyone, you included and me included, who would hear the word of God and respond by turning from their sin and trusting in Jesus Christ. We've sang that, that last song, Christ Alone, Cornerstone. Jesus is the cornerstone of the church, building the church on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Ephesians 2.20 says. If you believe the word of God through the scripture, which is the apostolic testimony, the testimony of the apostles to Jesus, then you are here in verse 20. This is you. If you believe, then what has happened in your life is that the spirit of the living God has come into your heart and done a miracle and given you the ability to hear the word of God and to respond in repentance and faith, to turn from your sin and to trust in Christ. Romans 10, 17, that says that faith comes by hearing. So the word of God bears fruit. So we should pray, we should pray for future believers. We should pray for those who will hear the gospel and believe it. There are people in South Florida right now. There are people in Broward County right now. There are people in Palm Beach County right now. There are people in your spheres of influence, whether it's someone you connect with in, in your neighborhood, whether it's someone you know through sports or someone you know through work or school, there are people God has called to himself who do not believe in Jesus, who will believe in Jesus. So we should pray for future believers. Next, we should pray for fruitful unity. Fruitful unity. Look there at verse 21. Um, he says, may they all be one. As you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe you sent me. So I just want you to think about this. What Jesus could have prayed for the last night on earth, the last chance for, for him to, to go before the Father before he goes to the cross, the the last moments with his disciples, what sits heavily on his heart? The unity of his people. Now, we've already seen in verse 11 
that, that he prays that the disciples would be united. We talked about that last week when we talked about how to pray for the people of God, how to pray for the church. And now this entire section is based on Jesus's heartbeat for the unity of God's people. He prays that the future people of God, those who would believe through the apostles' word, would be one. He prays for us in this moment. In that moment, he prayed for us. He prayed for the church in the United States in 2021. He prayed for Cross United Church in the fall of 2021, that we would be one as the Father and the Son are one, as the Father mutually indwell one another by nature, that we would be one in them and brought into union with Christ. Not that we become like part of the Trinity, but that we are brought into Christ by grace through faith, through the covenant God has made with us, so that we will be one with God and one with each other. The persons of the Trinity are one nature. We, we don't become like part of God, but we do become one with one another, and we are united to Christ by faith. And notice what it says there at the end of verse 21. So that, that's a really important phrase in your Bible. It indicates purpose. It indicates the reason. It indicates what happens as, as a result of what has just been said. And here, what we see is that the Father and the Son's unity, which is the model of the church's unity, is here, the church's unity is purposed toward a credible witness to the world that the world may believe that you sent me. Now, you think about the world, the, the, the world is not. Um, one of the good guys, generally speaking, in the Bible. The world is often the sphere of those who are re in rebellion against God. The, the world is the, the system that aligns itself against the creator. But the world is also the object, object of God's love. The, the world is, the, is the, 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 the one Jesus died for, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. There are some from the world who will not rebel against the creator forever, but who will hear the gospel and will turn from their sin and trust in Christ as the church is united in a credible witness to the world. And that credible witness we see, what, what God uses for the, 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 the witness to the world is this united church that displays the glory of the Trinity itself. And that's the, the third thing Jesus teaches us to pray for. Pray for Trinitarian visibility. Trinitarian visibility. Look what he says there in verse 22. He says, I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me, so that they may be completely one, that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you loved me. Jesus here exp explains that the glory that he will give them will be the, the way that they pursue unity. That the glory of God displayed in the gospel creates a united church. 
a church that is one. The, 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 the last place we see a similar statement is in the story of Lazarus. In, in, in Lazarus's story in John 11, verse 4, Jesus explains that the death of Lazarus and the resurrection of Lazarus is for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Here he says that the glory that the Father has given to the Son will be given to the church so that the church will be one. The glory here is a pattern of death and resurrection. This is the glory of Christ in the Gospel of John. It is the glory of the cross, of a king who set aside his privileges and power and the using of those things for his own, his own, his own purposes and his own benefit and use them on behalf of people like you and me. This, this witness concerning Jesus's Life in, Laz in the story of Lazarus, it says that, that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and that people believed that the Father sent the Son. And here he says, I have given them the glory you have given to me so that they may be one, so that the world may know that you sent me, so that the world may know the true story of what God has done. He has sent his Son to become a human being, to live a sinless life, to die a sinner's death, to be raised from the dead, so that anyone who will turn from their sin and trust in him will be forgiven of their sin and given eternal life. Notice here in verse 23, he says that they may be completely one, perfectly one. Now, that's a, that's a difficult phrase because um, it seems like the Father doesn't answer Jesus' prayer. In fact, um, there is no point in the life of the church that you can point to a church that's truly united. There's no point in the church. Um, the earliest days of the church, the, Greeks, the Greek widows were overlooked and pushed to the margins because they didn't speak Hebrew, and somehow there was some sort of failure in the, in the system of the way people who were hungry, the widows who were hungry, got bread in Acts 6, and, and, and there was this division in the church. There were divisions in the church in Corinth. There were divisions in the church in, 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 in every circumstance, in the scripture itself and in the history of the church. So what in the world is going on if Jesus is saying that he prays that we may be completely or perfectly one? Well, I think it's similar to what Paul says in Philippians 3. He says that he strives for the, the goal of Christ he says, not that I've already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it. I make every effort to take hold of it. The perfecting of unity of, in, of the church is both something that we strive for and something we wait for. That the church may be one, that's something that will be the case at the end of time when Every tongue and tribe and family and nation and the Baptists and the, and the Lutherans and the Presbyterians and the, and, and the Eastern Orthodox and folks, ever, they're gathered around the throne of King Jesus and they are made truly, completely one. 
the unity of the church, like everything in the Christian life, is both already and not yet. It is true of the church, but it is not yet fully true. This unity clearly is meant to be visible. D.A. Carson, the great scholar in his commentary on John, says, beyond a possibility of doubt, this unity is meant to be observable. It's not achieved by hunting enthusiastically for the lowest common theological denominator, but by common adherence to the apostolic gospel, by love that is joyfully self-sacrificing, and by undaunted commitment to the shared goals of the mission. This unity is meant to be observable. Now, I sometimes, you know, folks will ask me um, wh why we talk about uh, being a, trying to be a multi-ethnic church or, or racial justice and reconciliation. And people are like, you know, we hear so much about that. You know, it's like all in the news. It's like it's like we're constantly bombarded. Like, why why do we have why do we talk about that? Well, the reason I talk about that. Why do we talk about being a church that's full of all sorts of different people, whether they're old or young or middle-aged or white or black or brown or rich or poor or middle-income or Republicans or Democrats or independents. Why, why do we say that? Is it just to be like some sort of politically correct or some sort of like, you know, some sort of like, um, I'm not going, <laughs> I almost used a pop culture reference, but everyone's going to think I'm endorsing, so I'm not going to endorse it. I'm going to just, we're going to go from there. Um, why do we talk about this? Why do I talk about this? Is it, it's because look at what Jesus' heart beats for. His heart beats for a church that is united to the point that the world can see it. So that the world may know. That they may be completely and perfectly one. Jesus could have thought about it and prayed about anything this last night. With his disciples, and he ends the prayer with a plea to the Father for the unity of his people, for his bride. In verse 21, that they may be one that the world may believe. And in verse 23, that the, they may be one that the world may know. Believe and know. I think there's a, a pro progression there. Believing, then knowing. We talked about faith seeking, understanding. I made a joke on social media this week, and uh, you, you, you've had people praying for you because um, my PhD dissertation was basically 90,000 words, 300 pages, uh, on this verse. Um, so I could go on and on about it, but I'm not going to, to, to keep you too long. But, but what I do want to say is that Scripture, not culture, that Jesus not whatever is happening in the world around us, has convinced me that the way forward for the church to be fruitful on mission, to make disciples, is by being united in ways the world cannot explain. Because I can tell you that more churches are usually full of people that are more like each other than any random group at whatever XYZ sporting event. And I tell you, you go to the Dolphins game and you're going to find old and young and middle-aged. You're going to find rich and poor and middle-income. You're going to find Republicans and Democrats and independents. You're going to find black and white and brown. And they're all going to be united around one thing, and that is football. 
And if that is explainable by the dolphins, how much more so should it be explainable by the church of Jesus Christ? We're not just united around something superficial like a sports team, but by the life of God itself. When Jesus asks the Father for unity, he's not just talking about ethnic unity, but he's not talking about less than ethnic unity. You know, there's, there's just... So I've been, I've been, I'm going to go off script here a little bit. So this is either the Holy Spirit or it's wacky, all right? So just kind of figure it out. <laughs> Ask the Spirit to help you. Um, in 2009, I've shared this before, I was called to a church in a m- m- minority-majority community. It was a majority uh, black and Caribbean neighborhood and majority black Caribbean church with Latino and then the, the, the white population was in uh, the minority. My kids, when they were in the preschool our church had, were literally the only, there were some uh, white teachers, but they were literally the only white kids in the school. And I began to wrestle with that because I grew up um, as white as white can be. Um, just, you know, what I considered to be normal. Because for me it was normal. But then I found out, oh, there's a whole bunch of people, in, not just in our world, not just in our country, but in our neighborhoods, that what I consider normal isn't necessarily normal. So I, I, I'm wrestling with this because I believe the gospel. And I'm like, what, what, do, what do I do with this? So for 10 years or more, I've been like, how do we wrestle with the reality of, of being a community or a culture where you see the Olympics, right? The, the Olympics, the United States is like one of the only nations, and I, so I heard someone say, where you can't tell what country they're from by looking at them. Most nations, like you can tell, like the, the, you know, like the Norwegians, like you can kind of tell, right? Or like the folks from Kenya, you can tell. Or the, 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 the Chinese gymnastics team you can tell but with with america is so we are in this place where god has brought the nations together and i think he's giving us an opportunity to live into his heart for a church in which all nations are made into disciples and i think we see that in john remember one, one of the first powerful testimonies of the story of john was the was the samaritan woman at the well um and, and he prays and he says in, in chapter 10, verse 16, that, that there will be one flock and one shepherd. And the implication there is Jews and Gentiles will come together. We look at the rest of scripture and we see that bringing people together across lines that would normally divide them is not just a nice byproduct of the gospel. That God always intended the same gospel that reconciles us to him through repentance and faith, through regeneration, as we hear that Jesus died for our sin, was buried and raised from the dead, and we repent of our sin and we trust in him, and God forgives our sin and he gives us eternal life, that that same gospel was always intended to reconcile us to God and also to one another. And we cannot live... In, in a space where we're just like, it's okay, we're all kind of like, you know, in, in separate little clusters. Christ made of no effect the law. This is Ephesians 2, 15 and 16. 
consisting of commands and expressed in regulations, so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. Here we see that reconciliation across lines of difference, not limited to ethnic difference, but not less than ethnic difference, is part of the purpose of God in the gospel. That if your gospel only reconciles sinners to God, but not to one another, that the gospel you have is misfiring and it's not the gospel of the scripture. He wants churches and he wants our church to look like the throne room of heaven where people from every tongue and tribe and family and nation are gathered around the throne. And I tell you what, I've been preaching this and saying this and studying this for over a decade. And that has gone from being like, duh, why do we even need to talk about this to, oh, you must be some sort of woke liberal. Because somehow the idea that people should come together across lines of difference has become politicized. But it isn't politicized. It is in the scripture. Jesus prayed and God wills for our church to be made up up of the people who live in our community. In our community, if you go this way, across Federal Highway, you're going to find mostly white people with mostly wealthy lifestyles. You're going to find big boats on canals behind big houses. If you go this way, you're going to start to find different groups of people. You're going to find that about 60% of our community may be white and Maybe another 20% is Latino. Maybe another 15% is black. And there's some Asian. And here's the reality. God wants us to be a church where anyone from this community could walk through those doors and say, I could find a home here. I could find a home here. I don't know if you've ever had one of those dreams where you like show up to school and not wearing pants. You're like, no, it wasn't a dream. I don't know if you've ever been felt kind of displaced and like you stick out. If you've ever been overseas, maybe you've experienced that. Or maybe if you've wandered into a a community that's full of people who are different than you, you've you feel, felt that. Maybe it's a, it's a different ethnic group or people speaking a different language, different age group. Or maybe it's just like everyone else is dressed to the nines and you're like in a t-shirt and shorts and you feel like a bum. You walk into school and it's like, oh, everyone knows each other but me. Every one of us have felt that way. We felt like we were in a place where we are not sure that we belong. Here's the deal. People from this community should not ever feel that way when they come into our church or any church. They should come in and say, I think I could see myself here. That's what happens when you build a church that leans into the heart of Jesus, that's united and displays 
the glory of God. So, I think considering this was my dissertation passage, I did pretty good. I could, I could have gone, I could have gone a lot longer. You want me to? No, I'm just kidding. We'll keep going. So what now? So what now? I'm just. These are very basic, very basic. Um, again, these are not. I'm just trying to give you. I'm just trying to provoke your imagination. You know, applying the Bible to your life takes imagination. Um, anyone, any adventures in Odyssey fans? 80s. They, they still have them, right? The imagination station. Like, imagination. To imagine, like, how does this connect to my life? Well, this is me imagining some ways. Now, now they may be ways that resonate with you, maybe not. But I want you to think through, how does this, how do, how do I take this scripture and put it into practice in my life? And here's, here's the first one. Pray consistently for your future kids, future grandkids, and their spouses. Um, I heard a theologian and um, cultural commentator, Christian cultural commentator, Oz Guinness, say one time that more he was more grateful for legacy than conversion meaning this that he came from a long line of people a family where Christ was lifted up and that his his conversion was nurtured in in the family where where Jesus was the center and I I just want to encourage you to kind of build that kind of a home and to pray for maybe you don't have kids yet Pray for your future kids. Maybe you do have kids. Pray for your kids' spouses. Pray for their, pray for their future kids. As they say, the days are long, but the years are short. It's one thing my, my folks, um, one thing, I mean, they did a lot of things right, but one thing um, that's really shaped me is that they prayed, my mom prayed specifically um, for our future spouses. And I gotta tell you, like every one of us, every one of us knocked it out of the park in terms of who we married, my brothers, my brother and my sisters and me. Um, and that's a direct answer to the prayer of the Lord. Prayer, prayers to the Lord about, about that. Um, so you're talking about praying for future believers, like start at home. Start at home. Pray for your kids, future spouses. Pray for your future grandkids to be faithful believers. Um, here's another one, to pray for one lost friend every day. Pray for one lost friend every day. Think of someone, now, now I got a, a card, and I got just a list of names of people and friends that we know who don't know Jesus, and I just pray for them. You know, I, sometimes I pray for all of them. Sometimes I pray for one of them. Sometimes I pray for someone who's not on the list. But pick, pick one person. Just, like, pray for them. Pray for that one person. Pray for Susie. Lord, I pray she would come to know you and love you and trust you. You give me opportunities to share in a way that shows that I love her for her and she's not just a target for like me, like, you know, converting someone, but that I truly love her and I want the best for her. Pray for one lost friend every day and watch what God might do. Then finally, um, ask someone of a different age, ethnicity, socioeconomic status, or political persuasion, someone who's different than you, and that's not hard because we're all different from each other, but someone who's like really different from you. Like uh, Eric DeWeber and I, like we're, n we're pretty similar. Like we're like middle, oh, man, are we middle-aged, bro? I think we're middle-aged. Goodness. Um, you know, we're like late 30s, early 40s, 
you know, we like baseball, we have a wife and kids, like, it's really easy for us to connect with each other. But look for someone who is different than you, someone who's 20 years older or 20 years younger, someone who, you know, is, is of a different ethnic heritage, someone who maybe grew up poor or maybe someone who grew up really wealthy. And ask them, you know, like, just tell me, tell me, like, what, like, your story, your testimony. And you'll find out that what you consider normal was normal for you, but it ain't necessarily normal for everybody. And you might find out, oh, you know, this, this, this thing called the church is, is a pretty beautiful mosaic of people um, with really beautiful and really broken stories. Love, love people by listening to them. Um, and, and, and as you do, point them to the cross, the cross that God in which God reconciled sinners to himself and sinners to one another. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, by your spirit, I pray that um, you, would just, uh, you would just help us to be um, a church that's an answer to your prayer. That we would be a church that is one, that is made truly one in purpose, in love, in mission, in worship, so that the world might believe and the world might know that you, Father, sent your Son. The most powerful apologetic we can offer to the world around us in in a world where everything is superficial, everything seems fake. We're not sure what to believe. We're not sure who's telling the truth is a community of people who love you and love one another. So I pray you'd make us that in Jesus' name, amen.